Doctor, look. Stand aside, nurse. I'm Doctor Homebrew. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to Dr. Homebrew. We have, uh, I would say, normally a bunch of homebrew today, but we don't, unfortunately. But that's okay, because we have one very big beer to talk about. And our friend Colin is back in the studio. Colin, welcome back, my dude. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. You're basically keeping the show afloat now. Yeah. Do what I can. Yeah, it's the Colin show. And I think that's fine. Yeah, the repeat offender with the most. Yeah, I think uh, we needed to change your uh, change your name to Brian. <laughs> I think that's always a good idea. We can always have a council of Brian's. Yeah, every single time. Yeah. Sure. Who is this Brian? Who is this Brian you speak of? Right. Two Brian's. Absolutely. That's what we'll our, our nice introduction. Colin gets the only introduction. Like, and as usual, we're joined by. Oh, they don't matter. Yeah, the Bimmy. Everybody knows. You know who? Who cares anymore? But you know, it's Brian and Brian or whatever. But Colin's really here. You know, <laughs> people are here for Colin, not for us. They can hear us a, a hundred different episodes. But Colin, <laughs> that's right. People want to hear what he's got to say. Yeah, everyone's here for Colin. Man, I got to tell you, dude, this fucking weather. It's <laughs> gnarly. <laughs> this this reminds me of. The uh, old Pacheco studio, the um, the garage, sitting in the garage, having even started working and already got neck sweat and just <laughs> sticky and gross and uncomfortable. So now we have to be here for two hours doing this. It sucks, man. It was 109 degrees out here in beautiful Oakley, California today. Yeah, Damn, no. we beat heard... you in Concord. It was 112 like a little while ago. That's gross, dude. Yeah, somebody at the it's grocery horrible. store I, I was just at said, "Oh yeah, it's it was hot earlier, but it, it it's cooled down now to 104. So <laughs> yeah, it's better." Yeah. Well, I mean, like, oh. you know, they're not wrong. It has cooled down. Yeah, it was 113, but no, oh well. <laughs> yeah, it was gross, dude. It, yeah, it's Monday. It was supposed to be done on Tuesday, and now it's not going to be done until like Saturday. So we have like a week, and it's going to be like a hundred or over a hundred for like a week. And I don't live in Tucson anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's, it shouldn't be like this. It's nasty. And then like last night, my wife goes, um, "Would you mind, um, you know, making dinner tomorrow?" Yeah, sure. What do we? You know, what do you want me to cook? Uh, would you mind smoking this pork butt? Like, no. You know, I just jump at any chance to like, you know, use the barbecue or whatever. And I go, "Oh shit." Wait a minute. <laughs> what did I just sign myself yeah. up for? So cool. She's going to, she just wants me to spontaneously combust, just stepping outside <laughs> like a vampire in the sunlight. Like, you know, no, I, what? So that was fun. But uh, luckily, you know, I got one of those automated, John. So you just set the temp and you put the probes in, you walk away. And then I honestly forgot about it, not once, but twice. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Totally fine. You know, what are you going to do, actually? It's going to be super smoky. Yeah, it was good, actually. And, uh, you know, Full of pork, full of pulled pork, but nice, you know, whatever. What else? You know, you're right, Brian Shar. It is nice. And what else is nice? That the people at Five Star Chemicals, and not only are they nice, but they produce nice chemicals. Star Sand, PBW, Sandy Clean, all that other kind of stuff for you to be cleaning and sanitizing your home brewing equipment. But that's also not all. They also produce a lot of information. And if you want to be on that list of information, go to fivestarchemicals.com slash homebrew club program. That's homebrew hyphen club hyphen program. They have uh, 
Uh oh. Why is Brian Shar texting me? Oh. Rolling blackouts. Uh oh. Yeah, I didn't think I'd interrupt the show to talk about what might be potential technical difficulties on my end. But since you brought it up, yeah, I might be in the middle of a rolling blackout soon. Well, look, to be honest with you, Brian, I screwed up and then I decided to shift the blame on you because I'm a professional. <laughs> that's, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, sign up for Five Stars Free Homebrew Club program at the aforementioned Earl. You can get free products, exclusive discounts, monthly educational seminars, and free swag from PBW, or not from PBW, from Five Star Chemicals. So go to fivestarchemicals.com, learn about all that kind of funky stuff they got going on over there. And if you ever see them out in any sort of uh, industry event, I know NHC is over, but they like to, you know, kind of go different places and hang out. Say hi. If you're so inclined, send them an email and thank them very much for sponsoring the show. We yeah, really appreciate it. Our club signed up. I chatted with them at uh, Homebrew Con, our, and yeah, we we had been meaning to sign up. We signed up shortly after for that program, and it's it is pretty cool. Nice, awesome. Yeah, I got to do that, but I'm not in a club, I guess. So I don't know if I can. I guess I can. You can join our club. Eh, I don't do anything. I don't brew. <laughs> I need to, but not yeah. this week. I'll tell you that much. Um, yeah, all I, right. Trying to stand yeah. around anything boiling this week. Yeah, no, you'll you'll die. <laughs> yeah. You'll literally die. Absolutely. I mean, I could do it indoors because I got that electric, you know, um, Bruzilla from More Beer. Yeah. So I, I I definitely could, but I'm not. I don't know. I, I don't have the bug like I used to anymore. So I don't really care, you know. But like when you're first starting out, or at least like when you're sort of in the thick of home brewing, you're like, oh, man, I got that itch. I gotta scratch it. I gotta do something. I don't care how much I have to suffer or how much it puts me out or anything like that. But now it's like, no, yep. man, I just, you know, I'm not going to do it. I just won't play Destiny. You know, caring, caring makes a big difference. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> the phases of a homebrewer's uh, journey, I guess. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The awakening, the great awakening. <clears throat> yeah, the realizations. You can brew your own beer. Uh, uh, Colin, what's up, dude? Hey. Hey. What beer did you send for us? You guys have a Bach. A Bach. Have you made a Bach before? This is my first one. All right. First one. Excellent. Did you well, hang a, a goat from your uh, brew sculpture or your brewing equipment <laughs> while you did that? I mean, I sacrificed a goat before I brewed it. So, I mean, <laughs> like a live goat, yeah. too much information. I made some shawarma. <laughs> it was great. It was delicious. The goat really helped me feed. The... Anyway, uh, first attempt at a Bach. Is that a style you like? Are, so are you, are you brewing the styles or are you just yes. brewing the style? Okay. So you're brewing all no. the styles no matter what. Yeah, so I, I recently upgraded to a Herm system so I can do a lot of step mashing and that kind of stuff. So I've been really hitting the, the traditional lager styles okay. and this seemed like a next step. Yeah, well, yeah, nice. definitely. Do you like box? I haven't had that many, to be honest. Okay. So I, I really breed this kind of more, again, just to kind of do some technique stuff. Technique but, stuff, right. Because, like, you know, I, I wanted to theoretically brew the styles, right? Like run, just run the whole circuit of styles. But I don't like a lot of them. And I just don't care enough to be like, oh, I'll brew a thing. Because especially when I was really brewing, I was doing 10 gallons at a time. Like, what am I going to do 10 gallons of, I don't know, fucking triple IPA or whatever it is? And no, I'm never going to do that. So I just didn't do it. So I salute you. You're, uh, you seem ambiguous about the uh, Bach, but you did it anyways. It's ambitious. Hey, to brew. There we yeah. go. Yeah. It's very uh, ambitious to brew a Bach, too. That's not <laughs> an easy style to do. No, not at all, man. Not at all. Uh, all right, Brian. Hmm. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Char, why don't you all start right. us off here with this uh, Bach? All right. Well, Colin, I have to ask you the question that I've asked you probably like seven times uh. before. Uh, so <laughs> are you at a homebrew club? And if so, what's it called? 
I'm currently not. Unfortunately, the uh, COVID did not fare well for our club. So, Oh, that's right. COVID eliminated your club. Look at that. One one less club in contention for club of the year, everybody. Uh, 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 Now now you guys got a chance. Bad memory. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I still hang out with the guys I hang out with. (laughs) That's pretty cool. You you could always start again, start fresh, new name, new everything. You know, you could do do that. That involves work. So (laughs) (laughs) that's an excellent point. And I I get more work averse the older I get. What can I say? So uh, I I like this beer a a lot. This is a category 6C Dunkel's Bach. When I was younger, I didn't like Bach a whole lot. As I've gotten older and I, you know, maybe it's a reaction to just so many IPAs. You know, I love IPA. But I love getting a great German style, a good malty German beer. And it's uh, thank you for sending that bottle inspection. It's a bottle, appropriate size, fill. Uh, I had a hiss when I opened it. That was all good. Aroma, uh, richly malty. There were some caramel notes, bread crust uh, in there. No hop aroma, which is expected for the style. This shouldn't be. This has hops to balance, but it doesn't have uh, uh, hops jumping out of the glass into your nose. So hop uh, aroma wasn't there. That's fine. Uh, didn't get uh, diacetyl or acetaldehyde or any off aromas. Uh, very inviting. Gave it a 10 out of 12 uh, for aroma. Appearance, 3 out of 3. It's medium copper in color. Here with the camera and the lighting, it comes off kind of weirdly reddish orange. Uh, but that's, um, and I think of, you see this in real life, it's more of a, more of a copper color. Uh, medium-sized head is very persistent and tan, uh, crystal clear. Uh, again, three out of three for appearance. Flavor, initially the flavor is malty with that toasty bread crust flavor that you get in the aroma. So the flavor delivers on the promise of the aroma that you're going to have that toasty uh, uh, kind of bread crust richness. Uh, hot bitterness rises up in the mid palate to balance at kind of a medium to medium low level. There's no hop flavor. Again, this style doesn't call for hop flavor, so it doesn't need to be there. Probably shouldn't be there. It's not there. It's well attenuated. I wrote no off flavors, but I kind of came back to this, and I'm struggling with whether I'm getting just a hint of diacetyl in the mm. flavor, and that's maybe more of a of a slickness than a uh, than a flavor. But this has warmed up for about an hour since I judged it, and you know, I you think the diacetyl will be more prominent. I'm questioning whether it's actually there or not. Uh, it might be just the tiniest hint of diacetyl. Uh, we'll see what Cooper thinks later. Flavor 15 out of 20 overall. Thought it was real nice, uh, real uh, tasty beer. Mouthfeel, medium body, medium low carbonation. Uh, it's smooth and it's on the creamy side of that creamy to astringent spectrum. Uh, no warming, five out of five. Uh, overall impression, I gave it an eight for a total of 41, uh, which is excellent. Uh, this is a fantastic beer and I'm really enjoying it. I'm going to finish this bottle. Uh, which is pretty much what's left in here. Uh, I think I I might have some in the kitchen. I may have to go pour myself some more when Cooper's uh, judging that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I might be imagining the diacetyl, and I even made a note about that. Uh, If I'm not, don't forget a diacetyl rest. Uh, It's a good practice to uh, raise the temperature to 68, 70 degrees Fahrenheit at the end of fermentation, uh, just for a day or two to uh, let that higher temperature facilitate the chemical reactions that get rid of diacetyl. Uh, but otherwise, this is really good. Uh, again, 41. Uh, I like it enough. I'm going to drink the whole bottle. So uh, thank you very much for sharing. All right. Very good. Also, right. it's the only only bottle we have uh, for this show. So you mm, might as well yeah. drink the whole bottle. Yeah, well, exactly. What are you going to do? You want to waste it. 
No. That, that'd be a shame. It'd yeah. be rude. Well, especially, you know, Colin can hear you. Mm. But when you can't hear you, then, you know, do whatever you want. <laughs> Here's the dumping sound in the background. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is good. I'm slamming it. I love it. Yeah. Mm. All right, Cooper. Uh, I, I just rushed back from the uh, the Labor Day uh, holiday weekend. And uh, <laughs> so I started a fermentation on um, Friday, like right before leaving. I pitched the yeast. Oh, I, God. Why uh, would you do it, that? Well, I, I I had brewed it the night before. and I let it cool naturally instead of... Uh, cooling it fast. I just put it in my fermentation fridge. And then I, I worked a half day and I came back and I was just about ready to fry, like put in some cool water to cool it down a little bit more, pitched it, threw it in my fermentation uh, locker. And it, uh, it, ferment, it's, I assume it's fermenting. I haven't even had time to check that, but so I went out and that's also where I keep the beers for Dr. Homebrew. <laughs> and I forgot to put Gollin's beer in a cold place while I was gone. So sitting there at 68 degrees in that cold, I come in, I'm like, oh God. <laughs> so I had the cooler that I brought in from my trip and I dumped it in there in between some ice mm. packs, got it down to maybe 55 degrees and judged it. But that was actually, I don't think it, it hurt it at all. So I, I started the opposite of Brian. I, I judged it warm and then I put it in the fridge for a little while <laughs> as we we're waiting for the show to start. So now it's colder. Now I'm getting to taste it a little cooler. So just <laughs> keep that in mind, I guess. Yeah. So the, the beer had a nice, uh, uh, fill, uh, proper capping, good, you know, uh, bottle inspection past. Yay. Um, aroma wise, pleasant, rich bread crust, like malt aroma, uh, at a medium high level. Um, no obvious hop in the nose, light, Malty stone fruit like fruitiness, but but definitely lager like an impression overall with a clean ferment apparent. Uh, no DMS or diacetyl. I didn't get any in the nose. The appearance is just beautiful. It's a rich, deep copper color with a medium, creamy, light tan head that just persists forever. It just stays and stays and stays. And uh, yeah, just beautifully, brilliantly clear beer has these burnished orangish red highlights to it. Um, yeah, there's no way you could not give this three points for appearance because it's just perfect. In the flavor, again, like a lot of the same notes as in the aroma, pleasant and richly malty, uh, bread-like, lightly toasty. It's full of the, I meant to mention in the nose, uh, these Maillard products that come about from the color reactions with the malts. It's, it's, it really complements the, the bread crust uh, aspects well. Clean lager fermentation uh, with low bitterness to style. Uh, the balance is to the malt, of course. Uh, there's only a faint flavor of hop. As, as it was pretty warm, I could get a tiny touch of like a little floral herbal hop in there, but it was really light. It has a kind of semi-dry, semi-sweet impression in the in the finish. Uh, there's definitely some sweetness there from the malt and some fruitiness there from the malt that kind of play off each other. And I think maybe that that was what Brian was getting is those dark uh, stone fruit-like uh, things and kind of a malty. Um, sweetness that give maybe kind of a light butterscotch-like impression, but it, it wasn't buttery or diacetyl-like to me, just very clean and um, seemed, seemed well-conditioned to me. Yeah, after, um, after mine warmed up, I, I think I have to agree with you that I had talked myself into diacetyl when it was cooler. It was going to come out more when it warmed up. If it's not there, when it's warmer, it, it's not there. Yeah. So yeah, in the aftertaste, you get this rich, dark bread-like maltiness uh, just lingering uh, along with that little, little bit of sweetness. It uh, plays very well. Um, the beer you know, should be very 
fairly well attenuated. And sometimes the sweetness comes a little bit from the alcohol, not tasting a whole lot of alcohol here. Um, And Dunklesbach has a, you know, a bit of a range that you can uh, go, go between there, but you know, it can be in the six, three to seven, two percent ABV range. Um, It's not like a double Bach. So it's, this is the, the 6C Dunklesbach, if you want to look up the AHA, I'm sorry, the BJC, BJCP style. <laughs> I work for the BJCP, like okay. <laughs> AHA on the brain. Way to go, um, dickhead. Yeah, I'm going to lose my, uh, my office. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mouthfeel-wise, it's medium medium body, bordering on medium full, but just not, not, not super big. It's nice. Medium low carbonation that works to style. Very slight alcohol warmth, uh, but it's welcomely smooth. Not getting any astringency or anything really creamy, like a cream, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't taste like, it doesn't have a super creamy mouth. It was just very smooth. Um, so, yeah, goes out easy, not harsh or burning or astringent at all. It's just, just right. Now, overall, it's just a wonderfully well-brewed traditional Bach. It hits all the marks with the style. Uh, really nicely lagered. I enjoyed, the, you know, the attention to detail on the spear. And it's not just because we know Colin pays attention to all his shit. Uh, he, <laughs> he really did here, too, with his first traditional Bach. Because uh, yeah, I think I remember some beers he didn't. So well, let's, not, let's not rewrite history okay. for Colin. Okay? Yeah. I, I mean, he sent no. us a lot of beer. But, I mean, come he on. sent us 63 beers. I can't even remember <laughs> all of them. That's right. So, I can't yeah. store them all. They're all in my garage. Uh, I mean, we should just make a whole segment about Colin, you know? That's right. Uh, we should just move into Colin's house and just drink <laughs> his beers as he brews them. That's that right. That would just cut out a lot of the shipping and a lot of the hassle. I think that's the way to go. Yeah, we can call him daddy. Yeah. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might um, draw the line there. No. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, the slight, uh, I would say the slight, slight sweetness in the finish is, it's not too extreme for the style. It's a little leaning that way. You could attenuate this out just a touch more and, and it would dry off. You'd get a little more of that, that toasty edge in the in the mouthfeel it wouldn't i don't think it would be harsh here either it's 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 really nice as it is playing off the sweetness but you could do that a little bit i just subtly attenuate a touch more but as it is i gave it a 41 as well and i really liked the beer uh would love to talk about the recipe and hear how you did it and um thank you for sharing it colin colin uh before we get to you what's the abv on this six percent six percent okay so i can drink a lot of it uh, it didn't yeah. feel like a big boy, yeah. <laughs> uh, Cooper, remind me, what score did you give it? 41. 41. And Char, what, remind me again, please. 41. 41. We didn't even talk. To, uh, Cooper texted me right before the show. Hey, what did you score this? 41. I gave it a 41, too. So we were just totally in sync. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, honestly, it's it, it's pretty good. I mean, you know, uh, Char, I think you were saying about, like, the stone fruits. There is sort of that cherry, that, like, dark cherry, you know, flavor, which... You know, I don't know, maybe there's like a skosh too much of that if you had to pick a knit or two, but I mean, I think this is great. If you walk in any bar and you order a Bach and you get this, I think you're you're pleased. Yeah, this is it's yeah, really totally good, great. man. I was a little nervous because, you know, these are really easy to just get syrupy, mm-hmm. you know, and like under under attenuated and you just sort of like throw all the grain in there and you just you, you just really want I want the biggest Bach. And I don't think that these beers are meant to be brewed like that, um, especially no. the first time. And I don't think that uh, those taste good. You could still impress a judge without making it the biggest beer in the flight with the most alcohol. Like, right. Oh, wow. This is actually just, yeah, nice. And it's it's approachable yeah. and, and easy to drink. It's not 
harshly uh, hot or biting or sharp in any way. It's just really smooth. Tastes like a very well-brewed German beer with some good good German ingredients. Yeah, it's a little so, alcohol, yeah. you know, but it, you know, a little warm. I, yeah, I would go 41, 40, 41. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, but I, uh, the other thing is I don't know why I wouldn't go higher. I'm not familiar with the style. I don't like you, Colin. I don't have a lot of these, but I enjoy it a lot. I think this is great, and I would not... Uh, I would not hesitate to get um, another one. So now that I've chimed in and basically added nothing to the conversation, Colin, let's go over your recipe. So this is actually a smash beer. Um, So it is a hundred percent avant-garde dark Munich. So that Munich's actually 15 L. So in of itself, it's pretty, pretty high on the scale. Um, So again, did this avant-garde is that, is that a German company or German malt? Okay. Yep, they're German maltster. So how do you I hear about mashed... these new malts? Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you, Colin. H- how do you hear about these new malt? I've never heard of this malt before. Not like I'm really. I don't know, but I was basically looking for the darkest Munich from Germany that I could find. Okay. That's it. <laughs> okay. So, all right, like from your local homebrew shop or like online, just, you were just googling darkest Munich yeah. malt I could find. Wow. Yep. Man, I did, it's Pretty fucking much. shit is so much different than when I was first started. Like you're just you were beholden to your homebrew shop. Yeah. You know, and then now it's like, ah, I just Google anything I want. Yeah. Wow. Which the two shops an hour ish away from us have it as okay. well. So oh, we'll see. There you can go. get it somewhat locally. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of neat. Like the uh, transition of home brewing or, or, or the, the expansion of home brewing sort of allowing more shops to carry a variety of different stuff. Because usually the thing was like at more beer when we were talking about getting new grain in or whatever. It's like, well, no one's going to buy that. Who's going to buy this? We have too many grains. We have to get rid of some because they're sitting around too long. But it's nice that there's so many different beers and so many different grains coming out to the market for home brewers that uh, people are willing to, you know, to try that. So anyway. Well, too, cool. Just a, a point real quick. I mean, ingredients wise, these recipes can use Vienna and Munich malts. A lot of the time, that's all that's that can be all that's in there. And, um, you know, some of a cheat almost to, you know, if you use a lot of Vienna malt, you want to darken it up or you don't have a dark Munich malt, you're just using a lighter Munich malt. They'll add some darker, maybe dehusked, uh, uh, dark malts to, to add color. But as Colin proves here and as the traditional brewers do that, you don't need to do that. A lot of the color can also come from like the decoctions that they do. So you get a little richness of color from that. And we'll, we'll get into process later, but um, let's hear about the rest of the ingredients. Okay. And then it was um, 1.7 ounces at 3.9 alpha acids of tetanang for 19 IBUs. And then uh, it was Y yeast 2308. Uh, I do big, big starters on these. It was like 2.14 million cells per Play-Doh. Um, and then I pitched at 50 and then let it sit until uh, right toward the end and muffed it up to about 55 and let it finish. So it, it fermented in about 10 days or so. That's um, pretty good, right? That's real good. It was actually really aggressive. So normally lagers are, are pretty slow. This one actually blew out, like had had to put a bowl off tube on it because it was going crazy. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And what was your fermentation temperature again? 50. Yeah, 50 wow. and then raise it up to 55 once it settled down a little bit. <laughs> yep. That's cool, man. Yeah, yeah. A, a blow off for a lager. I don't mm-hmm. know that I've heard too many of those stories. Yeah, I was surprised. I was, I was yeah. Not expecting okay. that. <laughs> so, again, I think it's high pitch rates, and I uh, the thermal shock for the yeast. So, keeping it within ten degrees of when you pitch temperature, but what the actual yeast is, yeah. all those things seem to help pretty significantly. Good bit, good bit of oxygen before you pitch the yeast, all that stuff. Well, yeah. normally we spend uh, a little more time on the. Um, on the recipe, but it's just one grain. So what are you going to do? 
It was uh, four, 14 pounds of that grain. Um, OG was 64. Okay. Uh, final gravity was 19. So 70% attenuation is a little bit low, but I, I did some research, asked some buddies and that kind of stuff based off that, that high level bond of Munich malt. That's not surprising that the attenuation was that low mm. from, from what I can tell. Okay. Yeah, if it, had, uh, it, it, it actually landed just, you know, the, the style starts at 6.3. I think you said it was 6.0. If it had gone just a yeah. little further, you'd hit that yeah. low end, the 6.3. You were probably maybe aiming more for the middle end and thinking it would attenuate a little bit more. But, you know, yeah. uh, the, the next time you do it, you can do it a little bit differently if you want that based on yeah. that experience. And that's part of the fun. Now, you mentioned having this the Herms system and you have this ultimate yep. control. What did you use your controls to do? Yep. So mashed in, uh, did 145 for 30 minutes uh, and then bumped to 160 for 30 minutes, then pulled a third of it and did a 15 minute decoction. So boiled, put in a separate vessel, boiled a third of the mash with more grain than liquid for 15 minutes, put it back in about 170. So then just circulated till I got clear wort, sparged and off to the races. Very cool. So first decoction I ever had ever done as well. Aren't they fun? <laughs> it wasn't as bad as I thought. I really was expecting it to be messy and disgusting and awful, and it really wasn't as bad. It's just time to uh, I think it's just gloves. The- yeah, sorry. Yeah, did that. I and I have a giant three, three foot spoon now, too. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's the time that I think is, is really what people sort of grimace at. This is time yeah. suck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you guys think? Do we have any other comments or, or any sort of input? To give to Colin. And well, uh, how long did you logger it for after the? Yeah. So I, uh, brewed this on March 27th and then fermented in about two weeks and went immediately into the keg. Uh, so I, I carbonate in the keg, logger in the keg. So just throw it in the back of the, of the fridge and forget about it for a couple months. Um, yeah, so, yeah I guess that's, that's, that's a good thing. point. Loggering, uh, with the carbonation in it can, can work very well too. I think traditionally the, uh, carbonation should be added right at packaging in the right. in the breweries, but uh, you know, on a homebrew scale, you can do whatever you want. Throw it in the back; it's ready when it's ready. Taste <laughs> it after a few months, and yep. there you go. <laughs> isn't that yep. uh, isn't that a method though? Capping on on the the final part of the seed, do the sp- spunding or what is yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, spunding. Yeah, there you go. See, oh. I know, I know stuff. I haven't lost it completely. <laughs> yeah. You know stuff and things. Yeah, Colin. What about you? Do you have any questions for? Uh, for the Bryant. So my, my, I agree. It's a good beer and I agree. I would have liked it to attenuate a little bit more, but I don't, I don't know what to do to make it better. Like what, I think it's missing something, but I don't know what it is. It, yes. I, and I got that vibe. That's sort of what I was getting across. I was like, I, I, it's a 40, 41, but I don't know why for me, it's one of those beers where it's like, ah, I don't, I don't know. Is it too dry? Do we think? I, I asked myself that same question, Jason. Yeah. And I think Hearing that it's a smash beer, I'm wondering if that's maybe something that was in the back of my head, maybe a lack of complexity. Maybe, although it seemed fairly complex, is there a lack of complexity happening there that maybe a little more, not to go crazy and add 15 malts to your malt bill, (laughs) but maybe, maybe having two or three malts might let you take advantage of some of the different flavors and add a little complexity to it. I would disagree with that. It is generally a fairly simple recipe. Um, if you, you know, go to the, the, the major breweries that make it, it's, it's a, it's a Munich showcase and, you know, sometimes a little Vienna, sometimes a little bit of a dark roasted malt or debittered 
Dehusk malt for the color, but uh, you would never add any adjuncts or anything else. So it's just an all malt, um, you know, clean uh, European malts and hops, you know, traditionally uh, just a little bit of some, uh, some noble hop like you use there. Uh, getting up that bitterness, 19, you know, it's, that's, that's even a little on, <clears throat> on the low end. It can be 20 to 27 in the guidelines. But for the spear, if you went a little heavier with it and got it a little higher, you could, you could have a little more, get away with a little more bitterness. You could also get away with a little more strength. And that would make it maybe give it a little more com- complex feeling with the alcohol coming into play, but also just drying it out. I think that that sweetness is going to get out of the way a little bit and let those toastier malts shine through in the aftertaste and the and the, the the late palate. That's what I think. What do you think, Colin? I think he's full of shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought about uh, layering some Munichs. So do 80% of that super dark one and maybe 20% of a lighter Munich different maltsters maybe get some complexity which is different munich malts i think that's a good idea yeah. sneak a little bit of vienna in there too if you want i mean that's gonna you know yeah find the, the darkest vienna you can get too <laughs> there <you go. laughs> why not google that shit but yeah i mean just starting with the german malted stuff and i again i don't i don't know that maltster either but starting with this it's maybe a boutique german maltster so it's push, pushing out a lot of good stuff now i don't know but um, yeah, based on the product and the results, it, it seems like really good malt. There's nothing yeah, else that's good. much here uh, besides malt. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, taste different malts and, and maybe blend two different dark Munichs and see yeah. some of the environment in with this one and see how it tastes the next time or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I think, Colin, you're right on. Like, just, you know, just try a couple different things in there. See what happens. Why not? What are you going to do? Screw it up? Again, for... <laughs> for a first stab, I was pretty pretty happy with no, it. I would be I would be well chuffed with that. That is a, that's a very good first job. Like yeah, good stuff. Well chuffed. Yeah. How know, about man. the uh, the water in this one? Oh yeah, I didn't. I forgot about that. It's kind of moderate sulfate <laughs> stuff. Um, actually, didn't use water. It's yeah, all so, urine. Uh, it's recycled uh, urine. Uh, <laughs> urine. So fuck you guys. He's uh, being water conscious, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, my base water is extremely soft, so I basically built from scratch. But uh, sodium was 32, sulfate was 16, chloride 43, uh, mash pH was 5.2. Oh, uh, I wonder if it's a little sulfate. The sulfates help. seem pretty low. You could you could bump those yeah. up a fair amount to match yeah. the more German. What, what does that uh, do again? Water. What does sulfates do for this? What would what would a higher sulfate rate do for his beer? Well, with with hoppy beers, they accent the the hops in the beer a little bit, and they. But um, yeah, it just it just it gives it that kind of in the finish sometimes too that the the toastiness or the, the the bitterness can come out a little bit more. It's got got a little bolder impression to it. Mm. Like think about the difference between a German pills and a traditional uh, Czech pills. You know, the Czech pills is, is softer and they actually get away with a lot, you know, a fair amount more bitterness, uh, or they can. You know, they're relatively close, but. Uh, that super soft water, you can get away with a lot of bitterness. And the Germans, uh, you know, they, they use a higher sulfate water with pretty much the same malt and 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 similar hops. You know, just their uh, noble hops instead. But it plays, you know, a little more aggressive, a little more uh, rich in the back of the throat, the late palate. Things come through a little more. And uh, yeah, so that you know, sulfates are important to to pay attention to. That did seem a touch low. Yeah. I mean, I I knew that I wanted to give, I wanted to give the guys a chance to say something. 
Yeah. Because we never say anything. Yeah. No, that's true. We're very shy. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, let's take a break. We're going to come back and we'll chat more here with Colin uh, on Dr. Homebrew. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Now, back to the examination. All right. Thanks for sticking around, everybody. We're back here with Colin. And Colin, I wanted to keep you around a little bit. Normally, we kick you out. Um, but, you know, you said that you were brewing the styles, just running the whole styles. And I was interested in that. What made you do that? Like, why are you trying to brew all the styles? I always thought, you know, Jamil always said, like, if you, if you want to be good at home brewing, you got to brew all the styles. You got to do it. But in my mind, I go, well... There are differences about brewing different styles that don't necessarily translate. Brewing a Bach isn't necessarily the same as brewing a pale ale. So what are you gonna how are you gonna improve your Bach by brewing a pale ale? I just don't I don't get that. So what 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 motivated you to start tackling all this? So it's kind of how my brain works. So brewing to me is mastering the ability to brew. So when you brew a style, you kind of had to utilize one technique or had a lot utilize one hopper ingredient or something like that. And you kind of get that. And when you go to another style, you can kind of take what you learned from that and utilize it. So, I mean, agreed, they're not like a pale ale and a vodka are completely different, but if you know, uh, mash, mash, uh, step mash, if I know, okay, I can dry the beer out more or I can dry it out less or mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I think it all, all adds up to, to being able to know how to brew better. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. This, the the technique and the know how about how to problem solve maybe after the fact for the for next time, something like that. Yeah. Okay. And again, uh, I'm a engineer. I'm a metallurgist by education, and so that, it's what I do every day. So it's process. How can I control the process? How can I understand the input variables to get the output that I want? Uh, at the core concept, that's why homebrewing is attractive to me, and that's why I want to brew the styles that I can brew to learn how to do that. Yeah, there are a lot of people like that, like you, you people. There's so many you, no, like like engineers and scientists and you know nerds like that who are drawn to homebrewing, and and I guess that's why it's they what what that's why you do what you do because you're good at it as a profession. I'm assuming you haven't been fired, so what do I know? But I think but home homebrewing is sort of very much like that. It is process oriented, and the output you can just change a variable and get a different output. That's interesting. What were you gonna say, Shark? So you're you're a metallurgist. So did you build your own herm system? I did. You probably had the ability to do all the welding and stuff. Like ordinary people like me would not have any clue. Well, none of it was all weldless. Drilling holes in the kegs and that kind of stuff. So uh, actually, I'm the least mechanically minded person that I know. Uh, So I was actually uh, very happy with myself uh, that I figured out how to do it. So very cool. Chemistry is how my like electrons and all that stuff. So my, my mind works, not, <laughs> not hammers and drills and yeah. piping. That's not, it's not my jam. Yeah. You know, your, your <laughs> garage enough. door behind you moves, right? It goes up, you push a button and it moves <laughs> up. Uh, uh, we'll yeah. get there. We'll get there. We'll be right. Okay. Good what, what do you, so, so through your whole process, what do you think are a couple pieces of information that you learned that are the most important things that you learned to improve your process going through this because i don't know many people are are willing to to do that to brew the whole style to like run the rainbow of flavors yeast care i mean i think that's the biggest thing understanding your pitch rates um and and taking it one bite at a time 
So again, that's a little more philosophical, but if you go in trying to control every single variable from your first batch, you're going to get so overwhelmed and so pissed off, just not going to be fun anymore. So taking it one bite at a time. So we were okay. kind of... Wow, we're losing you. Is any better now? It's uh, catching up here. Hang on a second, yeah. I think. My back now? There we go. Yeah, you're back. Hello. Sorry about that. That's all right. It's not your fault, man. I mean, maybe. Going back to what I was, we were talking at the break, just taking it one piece at a time. So if you try and control every single variable, you're just going to get frustrated and, and pissed off and not have fun. Yeah. So with, with lager brewing, the first thing I, I tried to get an understanding of was fermentation. So you read the different calculators, how many pitch rates, that kind of stuff. And I found you just cannot over pitch yeast in a lager. So the more yeast you put in there, the better it tastes. So again, putting over 2 million cells per milliliter in there just made the loggers just jump and be so much better and pitching cold. So start so on happy. cold and then get progressively warmer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It jumped right out of the fermenter basically. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You needed a blow off. That's rad. Yeah. When, so rad. when we were still learning about yeast and home brewing or whatever, you know, the eighties, nineties or whatever, it was very much like, Oh, you know, you got to add way more than you think, but don't over pitch because you can, you know, really fuck your shit up. But I think it took a while, five, ten years, for people to be like, no, you can't. It's very hard to overpitch your yeah. your your beer on a homebrew level for anything, even for ales. Yeah. And it's very, very hard. You have to really try hard to overpitch your beer or overpitch yeah. your yeast, rather, um, which sort of makes sense. You know, you add just more yeast than you think for lagers. It's even it's even harder for a lager. Absolutely. I remember Dr. Scott on the session like 15 years ago talking about making like a three gallon starter for <laughs> his loggers. And I kind of, when I started making loggers a while back, I kind of, uh, I, I took a little bit of advice from that and I would brew like lighter loggers and just keep the yeast and then just run more wort on top of it for like a stronger logger. You know, I probably should have been cleaning my yeast and all that, but back in the day, you know, it was like essentially your five gallon batch was a starter for your next five gallon batch of a stronger logger. I mean, yeah, I still do that. So this batch was number two on a yeast generation. So it was a, it was a Munich Dunkel, then a Doppelbach. I'm sorry, then a Bach, then a Doppelbach on the, on the same nice. yeast. Did you do anything else after that? I would imagine sort of no. done by now. Yeah. 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 The Doppelbach's pretty strong. And that's the Doppelbach was the last one I dumped it after that. Yeah. Cooper, what about you? You got any questions for Colin? I was going to ask him the same overpitching thing. And it is really hard to overpitch. I mean, if you go, you know, triple the amount of yeast you need or something like that you could could possibly get some metallosis or you know you could get some some problems come up the yeast is just too crazed and happy and you know but uh yeah for the most part in commercial breweries it does um you know under pitching is a much bigger problem so um well i just wondered uh where colin uh got the the bug from because he obviously has the bug pretty well to to get in this thing like similarly to you know how Jamil did just wanted to brew every style what makes somebody you know want to do that you already asked him that but what what was the initial you know uh thing that got him into hey i want to brew my own beer where did that come from so uh my brother originally so he's he's three or four years older than me so he he started home brewing i kind of did it with him a few times and seemed seemed very cool and and bought a, a kid off Midwest Supply when I uh, moved uh, to South Carolina for my job. There you go. Just kind of took off from there. Yeah. It's, um, and then uh, how long did it take you? Did you start right off with all grain or did you go from, uh, you learn from your brother all grain or did you start with extract or how did it go? So I did one batch of a- extract. I'm like, okay, time to upgrade to all grain. <laughs> so <laughs> I liked it enough. Yeah. 
for me, it took like six months to do that. <laughs> That's quick. God, yeah, it took me forever too. But uh, partial mash, I did three, and I was like, "Well, why am I doing this? <laughs> I'm just going to go all." Yeah, game. W- once you once you kind of get the courage to step up and do the partial mash, yeah, and you realize this is not that difficult. It's probably less, it's probably, but it's probably more pain in the ass to do a partial mash than to do, to do a full mash. So you you yeah. kind of talked to yeah about. Um, what was the one of the, one of the biggest uh, uh, improvements to your brewing has been learning how to pitch the appropriate amount of yeast. Uh, what about equipment wise? Like for me, it was when I, I I finally got temperature control, and I'd been brewing these ales and trying to do the t-shirt method with the fan blowing on it and a little basin of water, and you know it, it helped a little bit. But I finally got a proper fermentation space, and it, that to me was my my biggest difference that it made especially here in california other places may not have to worry about that as much but just equipment wise what it, uh, what was the biggest one for you yeah definitely i mean i use a like a little mini chest freezer with those ink bird controller so i still use that for fermentation control um and then i mean my mash is still pretty pre uh, up until fairly recently was still just igloo cooler and all that so upgrading to the herms i think has made my maltier beers significantly improved um and I was all batch bars prior to that. So being able to do that, my efficiencies have shot up, shot up dramatically. Um, so getting a malt mill, you know, that's a, that's a relatively inexpensive one and you can control your, your crush a lot better to help with efficiencies. Um, homebrew shops tend to mash to crush pretty big just so they don't get people don't complain about stuck sparges in my experience. Um, but again, I, I think it's kind of starting as you could go. If one critical thing would be fermentation control temperature wise, I think that's the first major upgrade to just buckets that you can do to help. So I would agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. A mill, a mill is a really nice to have. And that's, that's one upgrade that I've, yeah, I added later on when I, yeah, well, I, I, I was hand cranking for a while, but then I got a, a Hey, whoa, well, Brian! With a drill, whoa, it's easier. Whoa! Uh, Let's not I talk was, about your fetishes and what you do in the privacy of your own home, please. <laughs> I thought of it as good okay. exercise. Yeah, <laughs> well, so. it is, but only on one side. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I would switch arms as I crank oh, okay. with, with one arm for Bro, a while. Oh, and Brian, then... come on, gross, dude! Jeez. Want your last? I swear, bit. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, what about uh, competitions, Colin? Do you enter a lot of those, or are you? I do. How did yeah. You, yeah. Besides just us. No, I, I send them all around. I mean, it just, usually if it's, well, I brew this beer, I think it's good. Maybe it sucks. So I'll send it to a competition and sometimes the feedback's okay. I, I get that. And sometimes it's just completely out of left field. doesn't make any sense. So you, you take them and you, you kind of go from there, but I usually here lately use it just more to confirm whether something I think is good is good or kind of cause if it's bad, it's bad. That kind of thing. Improvement wise, yeah, yeah. What's your, what's the medal or award you're most proud of? You got some best of shows under your belt, or what's your favorite? Yeah, medal the best best of show for uh, Check Dark Logger. That's my I'm one most what? proud of. There you go. That's not really too bad. Uh, not too bad. Pretty, Hang on, just good. a sec. We got to take another quick break, and I'm going to wrap things up here with Colin on Doctor Homebrew. We'll be right back. I'm sorry to tell you this. But we're going to have to pour you out. Back to Dr. Homebrew. All right. Thanks for hanging on, everybody. We're back here wrapping it up with Colin. Uh, Colin is probably one of our most prolific enterers, if not the most. Right, Cooper? I mean, I think he's probably sent in the most beers. 
I think by this point, he's sent in the yeah. most. Yeah. And, and he's also a good sport being out on the East Coast. And we're calling him at, you know, 10 something at night, 11 at night. And That's he's right. hanging in there, you know, right? Yeah. So he's forced like, to be in his garage. It's closer to midnight there than it is. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it, Colin. Are you getting anything out of the show? Do we help you at all? Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. Definitely. All right. Oh, so you definitely made... like you send us like five beers at a time and then you're like, fuck. Now I gotta be on this stupid show five times. I don't want to. I don't get anything out of it. But now I have to, so I might as well. It's not like I, that. I, just being able to talk. Like you go to competition, you just get a score sheet back, and there's nothing. I mean, like what in the world was that guy thinking? So to be able to actually have some rapport back and forth to kind of talk about it, that kind of thing is, I think, is very helpful. All right, and the cool. mindset of a judge too. There you go. So to speak. <laughs> All right. Well, well uh, yeah. is that it? We're done with Colin, right? Yeah. Any any words of wisdom for the homebrewing masses out there, Colin? Oh, <laughs> uh, comp- competitions are your friend. Podcasts are your friend. I've learned so much from listening to podcasts and, and competitions. Yeah. Twist twist some people's arms to send us their beer. If you know some good homebrewers <laughs> in your area, we'll, we'll take theirs okay. too, even if they're not good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. see what i can do how do we how, if, how to the people listening cooper how do they get in contact with us to get said beers to said hosts well they would email brian at the brewing network.com and uh let us know what you've got and uh we would take beer mead cider what have you and uh happy to happy to take it whether it's something you want feedback on or something that uh you just want to improve for competitions i think colin could improve this beer and make it a really big, you know, competition uh, worthy entry uh, to get it up into that that mid forties. And, and agreed, that's the kind of stuff we like to do. We love talking to people about beer, and that's just it's fun for us. But if you come on with good energy, it's fun for you, and it'll it'll hopefully pay off. <laughs> yeah. So Brian at Network dot com. Absolutely. There you go. Thank you, Colin. I really appreciate it, and we look forward to your next round of beers that you send in. If you if you end up doing that. Uh, thank you also to Five Star Chemicals. Again, go to 5starchemicals.com and learn about the best way to clean and sanitize your home brewing equipment, which is, of course, by using Five Star Chemicals. All right, everybody, thanks a lot for tuning in. I appreciate it. And uh, until next time, we'll see you later. 